Welcome to the HexDevs podcast, where we interview the best developers across the globe so that we can help you become a better developer. Ahmed Rodriguez, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you're a software engineer working at Landesk right now? That's right. And you're from Mexico, right? Correct. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your background? Sure. Uh, so I am a software engineer and uh, I've been working in the professionally over about over uh, 10 years now. And pretty much what I have been doing is uh, web development and uh, in between entrepreneurships. So what sort of technologies do you have more experience with? And what technologies did, do you also enjoy most? Because uh, most of the time I've been working with, uh, with Ruby as the, my primary programming language. And uh, back in the days, I used to do more front-end uh, HTML, JavaScript, CSS. But in the last few years, I've been more focused on back-end development and also have a little bit of experience with uh, Elixir more recently. What made you swift a little bit to back-end? Was it more of a personal choice or...? more professional mm, no it wasn't a explicit choice i guess just the circumstances mm -hmm. uh, back then when when the architecture of application started splitting into back end and front end and uh, no there's what there was no special reason actually like i was doing sort of full stack but then it felt like too much mm -hmm. so things got me more into backend and i don't regret that i i really like that more now so you said like when when things started like splitting between front end and back end you kind of chose back end and is that because react started or is it just like a personal preference no yeah it actually was before react oh. even existed like uh uh, okay, so most of my experience is with Ruby, Ruby on Rails. So back in the days, you will have everything in the same application, including the HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And then uh, Backbone GS came up. And uh, after that, Angular, Ember GS. So I started working with those. And then first, it, they, they were still within the same application, but at some point, we started like having a, two actual separate applications. Yeah, that makes sense. And you said that you were also doing some entrepreneurship uh, back in Mexico, I guess? Yeah, pretty much. So you co-founded a software development shop focused on agile product development, lean startup, right? Right. Uh, so, how was the how was the change from being a developer, like an employee, and then becoming a lead developer, like leading other developers, helping them, coaching them, mentoring them, and like having to think about uh, managing a project or like thinking about revenue? So, why did you decide to start a company? Yeah, uh, good question. It was. Okay, something that wasn't planned, but the circumstances. <laughs> so back then, I I had a full-time job as a software developer. And I don't remember why I started taking into freelance gigs, like in, the, in my spare time, like at night. And uh, yeah, probably was because Ruby on Rails was pretty demanded. So I started getting requests from uh, people in the United States to work remotely. And I started like as a side thing. It went well. Eventually I quit my job and started doing like full-time freelancing. But uh, soon after that, I, 
I transitioned from like I was more explicit into from a solo person to a actual company. So I created the legal entity and that all that kind of thing, and uh, invited invited a friend to join as a partner. So both of us took it from there, and then we started hiring other developers. And since we were running the business, for me at least, it was very important to always have like the client expectations uh, very clear. So for that, you you need uh, techniques to manage the, the projects, right? So uh, we were pretty heavily invested in Agile and uh, pretty much Agile methodologies, extreme programming. We use those techniques to, to manage the scope of the projects, the pricing as well, and to have the client involved in all the process. How many developers did you end up hiring at the time? It was always, like the, since the beginning, we had the idea of keeping things simple. And... Uh, as many people, I was very influenced by Terry Seven Signals back then, and all the philosophy they have behind with uh, with the, their first book, Getting Real. Getting Real, yeah. And uh, so, I always had the idea to keep to keep things simple, uh, so that we were able to chose like the clients, the projects we wanted to work on. And uh, so to answer your question, uh, the, at the peak, it was like seven people. Mm -hmm. But it was uh, a mixture of designers, uh, developers, and operations people. Mm. And all of them were working remotely as well? No, we, we had like a, a physical location in Monterey, Mexico, mm. but most of our clients were uh, either in the States or in the Europe. Mm -hmm. And how would you get the clients? So you started freelancing. So how did that happen? Like how, how did you get your first client, for example? My very first client, uh, I signed up in a, Rails developers directory or something like that and he contacted me through that page and uh, we started from there like he had like a small small jigs and then he invited me to work on another startup he he was a co-founder and uh, from there I introduced like my agency worked with more developers and that, that was pretty much our first client Oh, that's cool. And uh, did you also work with other clients? Like, did you have like a bunch of clients at the same time? Uh, no, since we were pretty much a small team, uh, we usually had two to three projects at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, at some point, we took like a strategy of going to traveling often to San Francisco and uh, like to do public relationships and networking in general. So the first trip we did was back in 2012 and it was my business partner and I and uh, both of us had never been there nor close to Silicon Valley, but we had heard good things about it. And uh, so we plan to go, like we invested like $5,000 in that trip. It was, we were there for about a month. And, uh, but that, that was it, like we're gonna go, we're gonna invest this money, which was basically all we had in the bank. <laughs> and let's see what happens. So we went there, I fired like 30 emails before before landing mm -hmm. very randomly like uh to some startups to some uh 
agencies as well that that uh, were doing something similar to us. And very surprisingly, most of them replied and even, but more importantly, invited us to have a coffee or something like that. So, uh, so yeah, that was the first trip we did and started meeting a lot of people. Uh, it's a really, really special city. I remember we felt like one day there felt like three days in <laughs> in our city. Like mm-hmm. everything moves pretty, pretty mm-hmm. fast. And we were from one meeting to another. People is extremely friendly, extremely open to to meet new people. And uh, still we had some trouble selling the idea of, look, we're going to... We are here now, but we eventually gonna go back and work remotely. That's mm-hmm. that's the idea. It was hard of, of it was hard to sell that, but eventually, like the very last week we were there, we got the first client and came back to Mexico. And after a couple weeks, months, we we had the return of the initial investment and much more than that. <laughs> well, that's really cool. Yeah, and so. Um, so you you think that it's a good idea, like if you have a small agency or if you're doing some freelancing, do you think it's a good idea to like send some emails to people and maybe like go to San Francisco and try to find some clients? Like, how would how would you approach that situation? Like, I need more clients. What should I do? Well, that worked for us back in 2012. I don't know if I will do the same nowadays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I, I'm thinking back and I guess it was a mixture of luck and and persistence because uh, since we were specialized in Ruby on Rails, it was like a very demanded technology. But over the years, the... Uh, the offer has been more big, right? Yeah. So, yeah, actually, I remember the last years of the agency, I started, like, having more more uh, competition with teams in India and Ukraine and uh, other countries from Middle East just because people was already learning that technology yeah that makes sense uh yeah i had a similar experience in brazil so uh, me and a couple of friends we started a company in sao paulo and the startup scene was just starting out in sao paulo Mm -hmm. and so we we had the chance to like work with some really cool companies and startups and be part of the startup community was it remotely too Hmm? remotely no, no, it was, we had a little office in a co-working space okay. and then we would get clients there. Like you just go to the co-work, you talk to everyone okay. and eventually you get like two, three projects just by talking to people okay, at a yeah, co-working space. And, but back then, like we weren't even using Ruby on Rails or anything. We were doing C Sharp mm-hmm. and then eventually we started adopting Ruby on Rails because this was kind of getting popular and I wish that I... I had done that earlier, like I wish that I started doing Ruby earlier mm. because for a like an agency or a small company, like it's so much more productive, like when you're doing Rails compared to other stuff at oh, the, at yeah, the time. So yeah, it would, it would have been much easier for us because we we're like struggling with like uh, finishing the projects mm. and we had a bunch of stuff going on. Which year was it? It was 2013, 2014. Okay. Yeah. So it, it took a long time to, uh, so in Brazil, I think Ruby on Rails started out maybe in 2015, 2014. Mm. So it took a little little while to, yeah. to get there, but yeah. And now there's a huge community in Brazil. But So getting back to your company, um, so what about your, your co-founder? Was he, she... Uh, he. Yeah. Was he a developer too or? Yeah, uh, pretty smart guy. Uh, He was a bit younger than me and uh, he was studying at the time. 
So he eventually had to leave the company because we were having like too much demand and too much work. So he started like having trouble at school and uh, because of personal reasons, he decided to focus only on school. Mm -hmm. So I run the agency for the last year, year and a half, I, I think. Yeah. Was it hard to be the the boss, the only person uh, there? No, it was pretty much the same. Uh, his role was more on supporting the other engineers. Uh, yeah, it was like a more technical lead, and uh, and I was focused on on the rest, like uh, uh, networking. Uh, hiring, training, selling, uh, and uh, finance. Well, I didn't do finance. Like, we had an accountant, but still, like, pricing the projects, uh, negotiating our rates, and uh, and eventually, like, moving forward the projects. And uh, so one thing that I struggled with when I was... Uh starting my company with my co-founders was that I wasn't like really mature enough for that kind of stuff like I had to struggle with like um, the way you present yourself because I used to be like mm. a very shy person yeah and then I wouldn't be able to like sell stuff and then I had to learn that really quickly and then like uh, how to mentor people how to like uh, talk to people so yeah so that was like super hard for me, but then I learned a lot. So did you struggle with something when you started your company? Did you have did you have something that you had to like change or do? Yeah, well, definitely I'm also more introvert. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't too awkward. Uh, what we tried was like just being more present in the ecosystem first locally and then up before we expanded to to silicon valley but it was pretty much more about being present at events or local meetups or conferences and uh, just hanging around like meeting people meeting potential clients uh yeah the co-working strategy some some something like that as well uh but uh, no, I guess everything went pretty organically. So I don't recall at this point struggling with something like that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I think if you had struggled, you would remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you had struggled a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it to me, like because my co-founders they wanted to like grow a lot. Mm. fast like fast and fast faster and faster and it was more like like you said like the more like the guys from 37 signals right i wanted to like grow organically and maybe like do the right things and then like write good code and deliver a good experience to the client i wasn't really like into the idea of like uh VC funded startup, you know, like we, you need to grow a lot massive faster, yeah, massive yeah. expansion. So that's something that like we were at odds a little bit. So mm -hmm. it's, it was one of my struggles there. And then I believe you also founded a startup and then you went to San Francisco. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So that journey took me there. So for the same reasons you, you mentioned, at some point after four years of running the agency, like I I started like thinking what are the next steps, right? So we were about six to seven people and it was, we were doing well in terms of revenue and all that and, and recognition from either from uh, potential clients as well as from people that wanted to join the team to work. So, like, I have uh, a weird question. Like, 
I questioned myself. I asked myself, is this what you want to do? What you want to do in the next three years? If you see yourself in the future, you see yourself doing doing this? And the answer was not. So, uh, and I guess the reason was because having all these duties that are not technical, that were pulling me away from doing actual coding and software engineering, all these duties, uh, it was like the, the trade off of growing the business and managing the business. So that at the end, I didn't like that. And I, I make the choice of, uh, like whatever, whatever it takes so that I can just focus on technical Mm -hmm. problems. And, uh, I spoke with my team about this and, uh, they, they were like, they completely understood my points and we started planning like a wind down process for, for the agency with them and with the ongoing projects. So, uh, that still took a few months, but once I was done with that, uh, like a, f- a friend, uh, in, uh, was telling me about, uh, an idea he had and he was, wor- he was already working on. Uh, which is uh, this company you mentioned, NimboX, mm-hmm. and uh, he was he's running a software company focused on healthcare in Mexico, and this company has been is been running for I believe over a decade, so it's a well established company in Mexico, and uh, it's a basically a, like a family business. And uh, they were incubating a new project, which is this one. And so he invited me to join as a technical co-founder. And uh, I liked the idea because we had some sort of uh, like a money to run the business from this parent company. But at the same time, we had more flexibility to to build the product from from the beginning in our entire terms. So we started that project uh, like they had the conception of it, but I helped them build the the P1 of the product. And at some point uh, we decided to apply to Y Combinator. Back then we were the, if I'm correct, we were the first ones to go to Y Combinator interview, at least in our city, in Monterey. And there was no other Mexican startup being incubated in Y Combinator. So we were pretty excited the day we got the email that when they were inviting us to Mountain View to do the on-site interview. And it was uh, after a few months of having launched the the product. And so we went there uh, a couple days before we were preparing, very stressed. Uh, You get a, well, you don't get, but if you find an intern and ask around, uh, you will get like 50, 100 questions, questionnaires of, things that they might ask you. <laughs> so uh, we were training uh, between us, like asking us random questions that could come up in the interview. And uh, so, yeah, the day they, they came and we were interviewed by, at the time, it was the, I don't remember the name, but it was the CFO. Uh, Christine, I guess, is her name, and the COO, and another guy who's the CTO of Scripty. Mm. I don't know if you 
you probably have seen that yeah i know that I know something that with happened. pdfs and online documents mm -hmm. so they were the ones that interviewed us i was pretty nervous more than them uh and more than my co-founders and uh at the end we got a no mm -hmm. like I guess it was the same day, but you walk away from there without knowing. Like they say, you we're gonna speak about it, etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you get it right away? No, it was not oh. <laughs> the worst time because <laughs> we could not sleep after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got an email saying that uh, from this guy Jared, the the co-founder of Script D. Uh, basically, his their reasons were uh, we don't believe you have at this point a, a clear differentiator mm -hmm. for competing in the U.S. industry, mm -hmm. which is completely true because the healthcare industry in the U.S. it's pretty competitive, like mm -hmm. probably like in no other country. Yeah. And we weren't prepared for targeting the U.S. market at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah, we definitely was a pretty good feedback, and uh, it then we started like thinking new ways what what we could do, uh, new ways to experiment with the product and with the direction of the product. Uh, eventually, like the the parent company started putting more pressure on our team, mm. and uh, the, the top down they took a decision of going through a more traditional path. Mm -hmm. So that's when I I I use that inflection point to part ways with them. Mm -hmm. So I continued with my with my plan of focusing on technical challenges as a consultant you are very limited in terms of especially if you are charging by the hour mm -hmm. like uh, your clients doesn't want you messing around trying to uh, figure out a obscure bug <laughs> unless you were hired for that but mm -hmm. uh, usually you won't and you will have like a pretty limited visibility of the entire scope of, of a product, right? Mm -hmm. So my theory was like, if I, on my own, I, I join teams, I can have that visibility and I can work long-term or medium-term in a single product focusing on, pro on, on single problems. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, uh seeing the evolution of the product living the evolution because as a consultant you are just jumping around from project to project and in my consultancy we were very focused on taking products from zero to one zero to one mm -hmm. zero to one zero to one but never saw things beyond so that's what i wanted to explore yeah that makes a lot of sense uh i have a curiosity about Y Combinator so were you planning to get accepted and get funding and then expand into the US market where was that like the the most important thing for the company at the time or was that just like a way to maybe expand the company and see what would happen no it it wasn't the plan all so I guess it was mostly about living the experience of being incubated in Y Combinator, which at the time, I don't know nowadays, but was the most prestigious accelerator in the world. Yeah. So uh, we didn't plan to apply to anywhere else like Techstars or whatever. We only tried with Y Combinator if it... Uh, if it didn't work, it's okay. We still are in business, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, we didn't need money at the time. It wasn't a, a matter of money. 
still you don't get too much money from them unless you raise in the after the graduation mm -hmm. but uh, no it wasn't too much about that it was the startup uh, profitable in any way at the time or were you just like building the product no it wasn't at the time like i just we we just had like a few months of mm -hmm. having launch and uh we had a bunch of customers but basically on a free trial so but still we since we have the support of the parent company we still had time to run away yeah. mm -hmm. okay interesting yeah there was not much urgency in money and then after that you decided to move to san francisco okay yeah that's a good question yeah i decided to move i wasn't able to <laughs> <laughs> so in Monterey, uh, since I had been in contact with companies from from San Francisco since years before, this time I started like actually looking for a job, not mm. selling myself as a consultant or anything like that. I was actually wanting to be hired. Uh, so I did a few interviews from Monterey and uh, finally got uh, a job offer from uh, from a startup also in healthcare but more towards uh, billing um, and we made all the arrangements the salary negotiation the like uh, the moving fee and anything you could need it was pretty good it was a pretty good offer like the the dream of software engineering in in uh, silicon valley mm -hmm. and all i needed was to go ask for the work visa for the u.s work visa mm -hmm. so i gather everything go to the to the embassy and got the visa denied oh. <laughs> that sucks yeah so, so you imagine, had the offer, you had everything, but not the visa. Yeah, imagine I was with my job offer in my hands, literally. Can I get, please, can I please get a job uh, work visa? And it was denied. Why? Mm. Because I didn't have my degree oh. at the time. Ugh. So there was a pretty gray line in the law because I read the law. Mm -hmm. I, I had been studying... Uh, software engineering back in the days but eventually dropped out mm -hmm. so the law say that you can get the work visa as long you don't have to have the entire degree as long as you have been at least two or three years studying mm -hmm. so that was a great line i was playing with mm -hmm. and eventually the officer told me that no you need a degree okay mm -hmm. So from there, uh, I, I still got hired by this company, except that I was working remotely most oh. of the time, but I will visit them from time to time. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I, I started getting into to solve the my degree problem. So it was a like going back to school to speak to see how mm. things <laughs> how i left things 10 yeah. years ago <laughs> and uh, it was a mess a complete mess mm. i could not imagine myself sitting in the classroom again mm -hmm. so i started looking for alternatives luckily the mexican government has a, a special program for people that has got enough professional experience was basically my case mm -hmm. like I was studying and then I dropped out but I started working on software engineering uh, so I have got a few years of experience and proven experience so this this program will allow you to present two exams and if you pass those exams, you will get a degree oh. without having to go to a university. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That, so I definitely went down with that option. And it still took me 
a year and a half mm. to complete that. It wasn't easy, <laughs> but way better than going back and sit in the classroom. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I finally got the degree <laughs> last year. <laughs> Congrats. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but did you get the visa? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those things that sometimes that you want something and you it's your objective. Mm -hmm. But what was important was the, the journey, mm. not the destination. Yeah. So once I got the degree and I had everything to really move and to San Francisco, uh, by that time I was working for another company uh still remotely and uh it was just a matter of months for me to get a degree we had some free time like i was completely remotely so i told my wife uh, we should go elsewhere while i wait for my degree and okay where how about canada like we had never been there But it's not the U.S. and it's the closest thing we have from Mexico. Mm -hmm. Okay, which city? Mm, I don't know, Toronto, Vancouver. It's the only th cities you hear about. <laughs> and so did a little bit of research and Vancouver was definitely the option. Uh, especially for the proximity to Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. So we came here as a visitors. And then we had tickets to Europe, like in six months, to go to here for another few months. And uh, so while being here, I I got the call to go pick up my degree. I fly to Mexico, came back, and I started learning about immigration here in Canada. So at that point, the company I was working for got acquired by another company in Boston. And they wanted to move everything to Boston. That was definitely not in my plans. Mm. So I, uh, again, I used that inflection point to say, okay, you know what? Let's part ways here and I'm going to look for a job in Canada <laughs> <laughs> and get the Canadian work visa. <laughs> well, that's that's interesting, but yeah. but if did you want to like did you still want to go to san francisco or you didn't want to go to boston or you just said no canada is better i want to go to canada now yeah i mean san francisco it's a very special city especially for technology and but immigration in the u.s is pretty hard mm -hmm. so there was it was more a decision thinking on long term like i could have got the work visa but it will be for three year tops and then you i will have to renew it and be afraid of it being denied for some strange reason mm -hmm. so i didn't want to play that game and once i learned about how it's in canada like with the permanent residency program and all that I said you know what like I talked with my wife about it we decided that it's not worth like going to the US and eventually they will kick, kick you in the ass and they don't want you there so you already spent three years of your life And it's also hard for your partner right to get a work permit exactly yeah, yeah it's very restrictive That's another good point. Yeah. Yeah. So you came here to visit and uh -huh. then how was the process of finding the job here, getting the work permit here? Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so since I was working remotely for the first months, we arrived here and uh, eventually all this transition happened and uh, Yeah, I decided, okay, let's find in the, the, in the local ecosystem how, how things are. 
uh, and I uh, started like, I don't know, maybe angel list or I don't even call like there is a Slack group for Vancouver developers. I spoke with a few people there and I started getting like interview calls and uh, I thought, okay, this doesn't seem to be to going to be too hard. But a uh, surprise was that a lot of companies here are were not willing to sponsor war permits. And the sad part of that is that they didn't even know what involved to have that because for me, uh, me coming from Mexico, it's much more easier than from other countries because we have the NAFTA trade. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a matter of paying a hundred bucks and that's it. You don't have to do the LMIA or mm-hmm. anything else. So I got a few hard stops from companies here that, oh, sorry, we don't sponsor permits. <laughs> no, but look, I come from, from Mexico. It's easier, NAFTA, etc. No, sorry. They were close in that in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, eventually find a company that was willing to. Mm-hmm. And they still did uh, interview rounds with other companies. And it took me about three weeks of very intense work mm-hmm. between interviews, different rounds, like first like a talking and then coding challenges, etc., etc. When was it? I was last year. Oh. Yeah. In your case, did you have to do the LMIA thing? Or? No, that yeah. doesn't apply for Mexico. Oh. So basically the company had to to prove that they try to hire Canadian uh, mm-hmm. people first and uh, do some, like, fill some forms, pay a fee, and that was it. The The only thing is that I, since I was as a visitor here, I had to leave the country and get in again. Yeah. And that was funny as well. Because <laughs> Do you have to, you, to go to the border? Yeah. Mm. I went to, to Seattle. Yeah. Like uh, the shortest thing at the time was, okay, just go to Seattle uh in the same day you you come back mm-hmm. and on the entrance you ask for the work permit i had all the paperwork already and it was denied <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was by train mm. i don't know if you have seen the amtrak train that no. takes you to from here from the train station to mm. to seattle but it goes south to till Oregon, mm-hmm. but I left in Seattle and I spent the day there walking <laughs> around and then at the <laughs> night came back and uh, it was just bad luck mm. because the, uh, my conclusion was that the officers didn't know how to process the work permit at that oh. entry point, which is the, <laughs> the station. I, What's the name? Pacific mm. Center Station or something like that? Mm. Oh, on Main Street? No, no, it's the Pacific something. It's it's mm. by Main Street, but... Mm. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah. <laughs> 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 he told me, sorry, we are not processing your work permit. You can get in as a visitor, mm-hmm. but it's not going to happen today. <laughs> you can try any other day you want. Uh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, so... Two days after that, I had to fly to San Francisco. I went to San Francisco, spent a night there, and uh, came back through YRV. Oh, okay. And then everything was was a completely different story. (laughs) (laughs) It was a better visa office or something. (laughs) Yeah. It's been pretty tough immigration (laughs) stuff for me. (laughs) Yeah. But now, this year, you got your permanent residence. Oh, yeah. Congrats. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, like another 10 months of intense work, of paperwork, and and finally got it. And so, d- why did you 
choose Vancouver again? Did you just randomly pick a city in Canada? Mm, yeah, no, it wasn't that random, but it was basically between Toronto and mm. Vancouver. And it was something that I didn't put a lot of thought really, but I don't regret at all, like being here. Uh, it was basically the the decision points were, uh, let's go to a city where there is good public transportation, where there is good tech industry, where there is good beer, <laughs> where there is good coffee, and where there is nature. Yeah. So that's Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, that's Vancouver. Not yeah. a lot of snow. Exactly. Not not so cold. <laughs> yeah, that's another important point. Yeah. So you you lived you kind of lived a little bit in San Francisco, like going there, working there. So how do you compare uh, Mexico, San Francisco, and Vancouver? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I've been going to San Francisco at least once a year for the last seven years and uh, I have seen or witnessed a transition cultural transition in the city with the gentrification and all those kind of phenomenons uh, but are, I get you have been there have you been no there? not yet okay it's a very special I city since the U.S. doesn't like immigrants that much, I also oh, don't well. plan going there. <laughs> well, that's another thing. Yeah, the U.S. doesn't like immigrants, but San Francisco or Silicon Valley are a very special place. Well, they should have their own embassy. Exactly. <laughs> no, definitely. They should have their own. Different yeah, country, yeah, I agree. It's like the Vatican inside of Italy. It yeah. could be like the Vatican or yeah. tech yeah. in the U.S. The yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely the place where technology grows and the has good and bad things, like everything. But uh, it's a very genuine place for technology. It's, that's the big difference with any other city. Uh, in Mexico, uh, I guess we tend to be more followers of what's going on i'm not a very uh creative person in terms of having business ideas but essentially many of the business that exist in mexico are things that already exist in the u.s it's because it's a, the one of the biggest markets in the world and the market that adopts technology faster and uh, many other reasons but I just, one of my motivations to to start moving towards or gravitating around Silicon Valley was because I was in Mexico like, okay, we here we are trying to emulate everything. We are trying to be like them. Why I don't go there and live there? You know, that was my, my decision point. And that's the comparison of, my city with with San Francisco now Vancouver it's like a middle point uh, here you also have uh, you have more potential of market adoption uh, I mean the economy in Canada is pretty good uh, the technology adoption I guess as well and the proximity with uh, Seattle and Portland and San Francisco uh, also helps a lot. The, the fact of being in the West Coast. So one difference I have noticed in the in the 18 months I've been here, uh, it's that companies from San Francisco are coming here. Like they are opening satellite satellite offices here or moving headquarters here even, and that's that's bringing a lot of interesting opportunities to Vancouver. Yeah, that's very true, and also because there's a lot of there's there are many developers here, 
like coming from everywhere and so they can get a bunch of people here to work for them oh totally yeah, yeah like canada is taking advantage of really having yeah. global talent here and i guess the united states is too full of people already but canada is definitely taking advantage of that for the good yeah. i mean that's why we we are here at the end <laughs> yeah that's true and do you have any plans on starting another company but this time in vancouver or in canada mm, good or question. a side project yeah i don't know uh when i when i left my consultancy business uh i thought like i i had proved i guess to myself that i was capable of running a business and growing a business and at some point i sort of lost lose interest in that uh probably because of the same reasons that I was getting dragged, being dragged to to other duties. Mm -hmm. And at some point I thought, you know what? I don't care if I am the owner, if I am the boss. Uh, I believe more in w working with someone else. I don't care if it is my boss, as long as it is the right person. I don't want to be the captain of of the ship. Like I, I felt all the time I was the captain of the ship in my agency that I no longer wanted to do that. So as long as I am with the right people and that will have the right leadership, I don't mind being the one focused on technical matters. So that was one, one point and and the other thing i guess is that after that i got busy with other stuff besides my daily job so all the energy you need to make an entrepreneurship i was burning that energy with paperwork and with my getting my degree and then all doing all the immigration stuff so i hadn't had time to think <laughs> on, on on being a, again a founder but like uh i don't know probably not i don't know you never know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. and now you are working at Lendesk. yeah um what are you working on there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah Lendesk is uh it's an awesome company uh all i have all I have uh, told here about, uh, I don't know, combining a lot of things I have lived in my past and the fact of having good leaders that technically are your bosses, but it doesn't feel like that. And you can be confident they are doing their job at, at a leadership level and guiding the company and you can focus on your own thing that's definitely something that Lendesk has allowed uh, to me and to others it's a pretty valuable company in that sense and uh, yeah I am a back-end engineer there and uh, we are pretty much doing Ruby back-end uh, we have a a uh, few services in Elixir uh, and uh, some other technologies, Go, uh, Node.js, etc. And do you feel that you have a lot of autonomy in your work, like to decide on things or maybe like, I want to work on this part of the system, or maybe on that part or something that I like more or like, do you have yeah. some autonomy there? Yeah, I just joined a few months ago. Uh, I'm still in an exploratory part, but definitely have witnessed how open leadership is to hear your ideas. So probably soon I expect to to be working on other areas I am interested on because one thing is 
it's pushing forward the company goals with clients and with investors and like moving forward the daily job uh, and another important thing is to focus on other exploratory areas where you see opportunities to to do your technical stuff that's cool and uh you worked remotely for a long time and now i believe you're not working remotely anymore mm -hmm. so how do you compare that experience because when you work remotely for like i don't know, I don't know 10 years or something mm -hmm. uh, is it hard to get adjusted to the office again or yeah you don't mind it wasn't too hard for me uh especially because i guess here i still didn't have the setup of my apartment to work remotely so at the same time i wanted to after being alone remote a uh, long time i wanted to be in a in a space with more people like interacting with more people and i mean as long as the company has good practices in place it wasn't a hard transition for me if they respect your focus time and uh, there are no too many meetings or i mean you can have also slack calls all the time but also applies for remote work but uh no i really i'm really enjoying working on site at this point that sounds good yeah. and you talked about focus and like having time to focus on things so and then you, you think that like maybe meetings might be disruptive to your mm -hmm. to your flow yeah so how do you do you try to like ma maximize that like that flow state do you do something related to that like do you have any ideas related to that yeah here it, it hasn't been a problem at landesk but in the past what i will do is if i want like i don't know four hours straight of focus work i will woke woke up pretty early like 5 6 a.m and start working at that time and uh, by 9 10 a.m that people will start tapping your shoulder <laughs> uh, and then you can do any other kind of work, uh, sync with your team, uh, help others, etc. And then in the afternoon, you will have another set of hours of focus work. That's something that worked pretty well for me. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's mm -hmm. like, a good tip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you said you, you've done some Elixir development in the past. Yeah. Do you want to talk? little bit about elixir yeah because we love elixir here i love <laughs> elixir yeah uh I, I i want to do more work with elixir like i just touched it for a brief period but it was enough to to see the advantages uh compared with ruby it's uh, in general it's a more modern programming language like uh, Ruby at this point has a lot of overhead or a lot of weight on his back from the community, uh, from, uh, I don't know, the how they are planning the future features of the language and uh, all the controversy with concurrency and other, other topics. Elixir, it's pretty young in that sense like uh it has a, 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 a li very little weight on his back at this point and the fact that it is a functional language it's something that really interests me after doing object-oriented programming for so long and uh yeah the fact that it's sitting in the shoulders of the giant airline that's also pretty interesting that it uh, allows you to explore other sort of architectures for web applications. 
And do you think that knowing Elixir in 2019 might help you get a job compared to like you said in 2012? If you knew Ruby, you would get clients really easily. So do you think that also applies to Elixir right now? Or maybe Go? Uh, I, I, yeah, I definitely think that it's a really good time for being an Elixir developer. At this point, my feeling is that it's becoming a demanded technology. It's, it's, it's uh, yet to be, but it's on its way. I guess uh, recently read something about it's the first time Elixir came up on a list from a tech radar from ThoughtWorks, mm. if I'm correct. Yeah. So it's the first time Elixir comes up on a list, and uh, and I feel the same, like in the in the past month when I, when I was looking for a job. Uh, I was also looking for an elixir position and uh, I definitely saw more openings than before. So it's something that's growing. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And you said that elixir maybe helps you writing apps in different architectures. And uh, I saw on your LinkedIn that you did some event sourcing mm -hmm. at another company. Yeah. So do you want to? Talk a little bit about event sourcing, like what are the main advantages of doing that? Yeah, I did some of that, like exploratory work, uh, but with Ruby. Oh. Uh, did you use a framework or did you? Yeah, I was pretty own? much on top of a Rails application. Mm -hmm. uh, there is one library called Events or something. Uh, yeah. Uh, in the Ruby community. I don't recall the name off the top of my head. But... Uh, Eventide? No, no, that's another one. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, what brought me to that is me working on architecture in general and trying to have independent components and... Uh, going beyond composition over inheritance and that kind of principles and in uh yeah with in the vein of having even more decoupled components i learned about uh event-driven systems first and then that got me to event sourcing event, event storming i think is the yeah. same thing and uh, domain-driven design, more importantly. So, so yeah, we were exploring that option and uh, this company was working on before it got acquired. And uh, leadership uh, uh, pulled me the idea and I have uh, red light, sorry, green light <laughs> to work on that. And I started working on low-impact features using that architecture. Mm -hmm. And it was going well until the acquisition happened and that changed priorities. Oh, I see. But yeah. Yeah, my last company, we were doing event sourcing too with Elixir. Mm. And it worked pretty well for the stuff we were doing. But then you, you kind of have to change your mindset a little bit. Because you can't just develop MVC applications anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to be very careful with the events you have, the commands you you're gonna create. Yeah. Uh, and also be very careful with what you're doing. So it needs to be very obvious, like very specific. And we as developers don't have, maybe we don't have that practice or maybe that mindset of being very sure of what you want to build. Like, what are uh, all of the actions that the user might take or what are what are all the events the system will have to process? Okay, yeah. So we kind of have to, like, be very uh, thorough okay. in your design, right? And that sometimes can be challenging because you can't just start writing something. You have to, like, yeah. really think about the domain and the 
things you need to build but then when you build it it works you know this is the the coolest thing about it like yeah maybe you have you have to like rethink and change your mindset a lot but it, yeah. you learn a lot of new interesting stuff with that yeah i, I guess that's probably why the ddd community have embedded the event storming sessions for example i guess that helps you to to have better ideas on how to to do the actual implementation of that uh but yeah i definitely agree it's something i i want to explore more in the future it's hard i guess do that in existing applications in your case it was an ex existing one or so we were doing the big rewrite oh, so it's wow. well, it was a new application with a new architecture it was hard super hard but i think if you have the time and maybe you like you create something new like a smaller thing mm -hmm. a very specific thing and you use uh event sourcing for that like for a very uh, critical part of your system yeah i think it makes a lot of sense like like for financial applications for example like stuff that you the stuff that shouldn't break right stuff yeah. that should like data shouldn't be corrupted like things that are very important and critical mm -hmm. i think it works really well but it needs to be like a, a small thing if you try yeah. to do with a big thing it's going to be hard <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i agree totally if uh, i was to write a new application i probably will try to experiment with that architecture and with elixir <laughs> cool <laughs> yeah okay so what about the future? What are you planning for the next years? Mm, I don't know. Uh, I want to settle in a bit. <laughs> 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 it's been pretty tough the last few years. Uh, like in doing immigration, mm -hmm. it's hard. So that's taking a lot of energy out of me. I'm gonna settle in for a bit. I don't know how how much time, but uh, I'm I don't have other special plans in the future other than exploring our beautiful province of British Columbia. <laughs> it is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ahmed, that was a really interesting conversation. Thank you for talking to us today. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for sharing your experience. I think people will be inspired by your story. And I hope more people uh, do Elixir and event sourcing in the future. Yeah. <laughs> That's my hope as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure, you, make sure to reach out to Ahmed and let him know. I'm sure he would love that. Um, also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to our newsletter so you don't miss any updates. And you can find all of that at hexdevs.com. Bye.